we are talking about prayer. Last week we jumped in. We looked at the Sermon on the Mount as a whole. Big view, panoramic, fly over the top ideas about the Sermon on the Mount. Tonight we're going to narrow in to one little section where Jesus begins to talk about prayer. Next week we will actually get to the Lord's Prayer itself. And we'll start to take it one phrase uh, one week at a time. So let's just start off thinking about prayer. Every major world religion encourages its followers to pray. We are not the only ones who think we have cornered the market on prayer. So I'll just give you a few examples of this. I'll put some pictures up on the screen. Uh, Muslims pray. They probably pray more than we do, truth be told. Uh, How many of you have been in a a Muslim country where there was a call to prayer? And you can remember that going out over the loudspeaker from the, the mosque. Typically, they pray five times a day. Uh, Muslims are just like Baptists. There's good ones and there's bad ones. There's devout ones and there's lazy ones. And so sometimes when you're in one of those countries and the call goes out, they stop whatever they're doing on the spot. Really, you're supposed to go to the mosque. That's what the really devout ones do. Some of them will just stop what they're doing and wherever they're at, they will begin to pray. And some of them don't pay any attention to it at all and they just go on with their business. Uh, You pray uh, facing a certain direction. You pray... uh, Uh, in a certain posture, there's a right way to stand, there's a right way to hold your hands, there's a right way to kneel, there's a a correct way to to hold your feet while you're kneeling and to hold your hands while you're down and you say a a certain thing with everyone else. And uh, so some of you have, have experienced that in real life, some of you have maybe just seen it in movies or pictures. Uh, Buddhists, Buddhists pray, and this is a group of Buddhist monks, I thought that was a neat picture. Uh, gathering together for prayer, and they've got these candles, and they're doing sort of a ritual or a ceremony. And I don't know this. This is a little bit of speculation. My guess is at the end of the ceremony, those candles will get blown out, snuffed out, and that is the ultimate hope of the Buddhist, that you just get snuffed out. right? The hope of the Hindu is that you eventually get absorbed into what is really real, and you become one with the universe the Buddhist doesn't believe there's any real thing out there. There is no personal God. So rather than being like a drop that gets absorbed by the ocean for the Hindu, the Buddhist just hopes to get snuffed out and that be the end of things. And so you can imagine that changes the way you pray, doesn't it? If that's the end game and that's the ultimate goal. Uh, The only time I remember seeing a Buddhist person pray up close Uh, was when I was in Hawaii. I was on the big island of Hawaii. You can drive all the way up Mauna Kea, a huge mountain. It's got snow at the top. It's got a massive complex of telescopes. It's one of the greatest places in the world to look at stars, if that's your thing. And you can drive up there, and you can see the telescopes. You can tour them all. And then that little piece of pipe sticking up is the summit, and it's got a little official, you know, This is how high up you are, and this is the coordinates of where you're at. It tells you all that information. But then right next to it is a shrine. And when we went up, when I went up to the top, there was a Buddhist guy. He wasn't wearing an orange uh, toga with a shaved head or anything like that. He just looked like a normal guy, but he was praying. And he had a little drum. And he was spinning this drum back and forth. And we went over. We tried to be somewhat respectful, but we went over and we talked to him. He said, what are you doing? He said, I'm praying. We said, well, you're not saying anything. And he said, but the drum is the prayer. I don't have to say anything. We said, oh, okay. Well, what does it mean? He said, it means nothing. That's the point. 
The point is not to think about anything. The point is to think about nothing. And so this sound that has no meaning is what I'm praying about or meditating on or thinking about. So he's praying. Hindus pray. There's ritual involved with it. Uh, They have their own special approach. Uh, People who are of the Confucius faith or sometimes the Taoist faith will pray and they'll go to temples. Uh, This was an up-close picture of a person. You see all these little red things hanging. Those are prayers. They've gone to the temple and there's a special place in the temple where you get this little red thing and if you throw the money in, you get the little red dangly thing and you write your prayer on the deal and then you hang it there and you leave it there. Sometimes they hang them in trees, sometimes they hang them on a wall, sometimes they hang them on, you know, whatever. But that's their form of prayer. So everyone's praying. And I think it's a helpful thing just to start as we listen to Jesus and we're thinking about a biblical view of prayer. I think it's helpful to stop and acknowledge that not all prayer is created equal. Just to sort of borrow a phrase from our culture. Okay? We can get in theological debates and try to split hairs and how many angels on the head of a pen and we can argue about does God hear these prayers of all these people or does he not hear these prayers. And honestly, that kind of depends on what you mean by hear, right? Because all of us would say, well, yes, he hears it. He hears everything. There's nothing that escapes his notice. There's nothing that's outside of his control or his awareness. Absolutely, he hears it. But then we would come back and we would say, but in another sense, they're not talking to God. They're talking to the nothing. Or they're talking to a statue. Or maybe they're talking to themselves. Um, Just to give you a few examples, we're not going to look at them, but for you to think about this, When Elijah faced off with the prophets of Baal, one was talking to God and one was not. Or maybe we should say one was talking to God and 850 were not. And the text says twice, while they're doing all of their ritual and dancing and cutting and screaming and yelling, no one paid attention. No one listened. There was no one there to hear it. You say, God couldn't hear it. He didn't know what was going on. Of course he heard it. He knew what was going on. But they weren't talking to Yahweh. No one heard what they were saying. They were not praying to the same deity. That's a popular idea. You hear people say that. Well, we all pray to the same God. At least in that story, they weren't. Because no one heard it. Another example would be Isaiah uh, 44 or so. Isaiah talks about the pagan who goes out and cuts down a tree and he brings it back and he makes a fire and then he uses some for his house and then he makes an idol with some of it and he bows down and he prays to it. And Isaiah doesn't have any illusion that, oh, well, you're really praying to God. Isaiah's point is you're talking to a piece of wood. You're not talking to the Lord. You're not talking to Yahweh here. And so we just maybe need to start uh, with this acknowledgement that, yes, All religions talk about prayer, but no, all religions are not doing the same thing when they pray. We're not all talking to the same deity. And it's really sort of offensive to any faith to just mash that together and to say we are talking to the same thing. We believe very, very different things about God. We're not talking to the same God. 
just to bring it a little bit closer to home, even in the Judeo-Christian tradition, we don't all agree on what prayer is and how we ought to actually pray. And I'll just put a few pictures up here and give you some examples. Uh, the picture on the top left is a Catholic mass, okay? Picture of a, a cathedral and a mass taking place. Picture on the bottom left is a Benny Hinn crusade, okay? Picture on the top right is First Baptist Church Dallas. And picture on the bottom right is a Greek Orthodox church. And I've experienced not necessarily all of those pictures, but all of those types of settings. And I can just tell you, what happens is very different. And we may be a little bit closer to home and saying, well, you know, we, we all sort of are, eh, maybe. But how it plays out is very different. Very different. In some of these churches, you're going to go and there's going to be candles and things you're going to look at and certain things that you're going to say. In other churches, you're going to speak in languages you don't even know. And say things you don't even understand. And in still other churches, you're going to look around the room. In an Orthodox church, every square inch of the building is going to be painted with pictures and icons and graphics and things that you're supposed to look at. And they're supposed to, those pictures and icons are supposed to draw you into prayer. And then we can think a little bit closer to home, a, a First Baptist church experience. Uh, there is very different uh, practices of prayer, even within the Christian tradition. You can disagree with me. If you, if you have thoughts on this later, I'd love to hear them. But I think Baptists, if we just try to boil it down to Baptists, okay? I think generally what Baptists try to do is dumb prayer down to the lowest common denominator. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way, but I think that's generally what we try to do. We're, we don't want to be Catholic. Baptists do not want to be Catholic, right? We don't want that. So we're not going to do the ritual stuff. We're not going to have the candles. We don't want to be guilty of any sort of idolatry. So we're not going to have the statues. We're not going to paint the, the saints up on the ceiling of the sanctuary. Look, we got a little water spot over here from a leak. I promise you when we fix it, St. Peter is not going to be looking down at you. That, we're not going to do that. Uh, we're not going to just start jibber-jabbing things out loud that I don't understand and you don't understand and nobody understands. Um, and typically what you sort of hear, at least what I sort of grew up hearing, is all it is is talking to God. You just, all you got to do is talk, right? You just, all you got to do is talk to him. And there's a beauty in that. I hope you see a beauty in that. I also hope you see there's a little bit of danger in that. And that you just turn people loose to say anything and everything possibly that maybe they don't need to be saying. Uh, if you were scheduled tomorrow to meet with the Queen of England, there would be protocol. Here's how you walk in. Here's what you say. Here's what you don't say. Here's how you shake hands. Here's how you don't shake hands. Right? The, because of who you would be meeting with, it would be true for President of the United States or any famous person or important person, there would sort of be a, a change in how you talk to them based on who they were or the position that they held. You wouldn't just chum it up necessarily as buddies. Um, I think about my kids when we go visit family, whether that's family here or somewhere else. I feel like we always have this conversation. Now, when you go in there, you look them in the eyeball. Don't stammer around at the floor, right? And when they they're going to ask you how they're going to ask you how was school today. Grandparents always ask you that. You know they're going to ask you. So don't grunt at them. 
when they eh, 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 eh. like say something. Think of your answer now. Give it some thought. Put you know, stand up straight. Look at them. Answer. Respond. We because of who they're talking to, we want them to talk a certain way. I don't think that's unreasonable, and I think that maybe has some carryover with prayer. So I just throw this out. This is on your notes. There's good prayer and there's bad prayer. And we need to be taught how to pray. And we need to be humble enough, like the disciples were, who came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we need you to teach us how to pray. We're listening to you talk to the Father. That's not really how we've been taught to do it. We've never heard anyone do it. We need you to teach us how to do it. And we probably ought to have that same humility. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, jumps right into that void. And he begins to teach us about prayer. So we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Last week we said the Sermon on the Mount has this dual focus. There's a focus in heaven. We saw that in the Beatitudes. And there's also a focus on earth. You are to be salt and light. And both of those things uh, are present in the Sermon. Both of those focuses or foci are also found in the Lord's Prayer. There's a focus on God and His transcendence and His glory. And there's also a focus on bread, which is a very earthy thing. And so we're going to try to hold both of those things into balance. Tonight, what I want to do is look at all the things Jesus says leading up to the Lord's Prayer itself. Before he actually says, do it like this, he stops and he says, don't do it like this. Now, here's my experience with this passage and teaching it and talking to people about it. This makes a lot of people nervous. When you think about these verses and you try to wrestle with them and you try to apply them, it makes people scared to pray. It makes people feel like, I might mess up. Jesus says here, don't do it this way, so there's a wrong way to do this thing. And I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up. And I just, I want to acknowledge, Jesus is definitely saying, don't do it this way. This is not how you're supposed to do it. But the passage itself should not make you fearful. When you understand the things that Jesus is saying not to do, it should give you a freedom in prayer that maybe you've never enjoyed before. So the point is not to make you fearful. The point is to make you free. And let's jump in. Jesus the rabbi, how does he teach us about prayer here? Number one, he assumes that we will pray. He assumes that we're going to do it. There's no possibility that we're not going to pray. He assumes it's going to happen. He assumes it in verse 5, and it's the word when. When you pray, don't do this and do this. And he says it again in verse 7. When you pray, not if, but when. And right around this, before it and after it, he's talking about other spiritual disciplines. He talks about giving. He assumes we're going to give. Jesus is operating on the assumption, my people are not going to spend all of the money that God the Father gives to them. They're not going to do that. They're going to live on less than what God gives them, and they're going to give. He assumes that's going to happen. There's no possibility of, well, if you decide you'd like to give, well, here's some things to think about. He just says, when you do it, do it like this. And it's the same thing with fasting. He doesn't assume that we're going to indulge every desire and longing in our bellies. He assumes at some point we're going to have self-control and we're not going to indulge every craving 
that we have. And so he says, when you fast, when you give to the needy, in verse 5 and verse 7, when you pray. He assumes that we're going to do it. Secondly, he commands us to do it. This kind of ups the ante a little bit. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray then like this. And that word pray is in the imperative tense. It's a command. He is saying, do it and do it this way. He's not presenting it to us as optional. He's assuming that we're going to do it. And then to make it really clear, he actually commands us to do it. So look, on Wednesday nights, we just went through a study of the Ten Commandments, right? Most of those commandments are negatively worded. Do not do this. Some of them, like the Sabbath, has this idea that we are positively, or honor your father and mother, you're positively to do something. So as we went through that series, we talked about two types of sin. If the Bible says don't do it and you do it, that's a sin of commission. You've sinned against God. He said not to do it and you did it. But when the Bible says positively you ought to do this, you must do this, you should do this, and you don't, that's a sin of omission. Equally sinful. And I just point out to you and to myself that Jesus says in this passage, pray. Don't think about praying. Don't have Bible studies about prayer. Don't sing songs about prayer. You you know, do it. Actually pray. It's a command right there in verse 9. Not to do it is out and out sin. Out and out rebellion. You may say, well, you know, there's adulterers out there and there's drug users out there and there's really bad people out there and the sheriff's department in Odessa had to go get some of those people the other night and they shot them up and there are really nasty people out there. Fine, there's nasty people out there. But if God says do something, if Jesus says do it, and you and I don't do it, that's sin. It's disobedience. It's rebellion. It's looking at Jesus and saying, no. You say to do it? No. I'm not going to do it. Thirdly, Jesus prayed. Jesus did it. We're not going to look at these verses. I'm not sure that that's all of them, but I did a a little bit of digging to just find the passages in the Gospels that talk about Jesus praying. There's other passages outside of the Gospels in the New Testament that talk about Jesus praying. There's some Old Testament passages that look forward and talk about Jesus uh, praying. We looked at one of those in Isaiah a few weeks ago, but he prayed. He did it. And if the goal of a Christian is to be as much like Jesus as possible, we should try to do the things that he did. And he modeled it for his disciples. He woke up early. He went off by himself. Uh, He prayed late into the night. At times he prayed all night long. He prayed at important moments. He, he, He prayed at moments that really didn't seem to be all that important at all. He prayed with his disciples. He prayed for his disciples with them there. He did it. He practiced it. And if we want to be like him, then we should do it too. Jesus prayed. Next, and we are going to look at these verses, Jesus is uniquely qualified to teach us how to pray. Uniquely qualified to teach us how to pray. Uh, 
my kids, I told you a few weeks ago that my little girls were taking piano lessons. And we, we came across the teacher by recommendation from friends. And our oldest daughter decided she did not want to take piano lessons, but she wanted to take guitar lessons. And so we kind of asked around and uh, talked with somebody here at the church. And he said, yeah, we take, we take my kid to this guy. He's really, really good. When I send my kid for a music lesson, guitar lesson, piano lesson, I'd kind of like the person they're going to to know something about music or piano or guitar, right? I kind of want them to know a lot about it, really, because I know a little bit about the guitar, and I know that pianos have keys, but I'm not equipped to teach anybody those things. You want to send your kid to someone who knows the subject matter. If you want to learn how to pray, there's no one better to learn from than Jesus. Should you learn from your mama? Of course. If she's a godly woman, learn from your mama. Should you learn from your Sunday school teacher? Yes, that's great. Should you learn from books on prayer somebody has written? Absolutely. But if you really want to learn, cut through all that silliness and just go to Jesus and learn from him. Here's why he's... We're really jumping into the middle of Paul's thought, but it says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Just file this away in your brain. Not only did Jesus pray past tense when he was on the earth, all the verses I gave you on the notes, he is praying now. He's still praying. Hasn't stopped praying. He is praying for his people. He's interceding for them. And Paul's just saying, this is, this, this is fantastic. Right? God is for you. He's done great things to save you. And Jesus is interceding for you right now. He's praying for you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. It says, There is one God and there is one mediator between God and men or God and mankind. And the mediator is the man Jesus Christ. You have a mediator. You have a go-between for you and the Father, and it's Jesus Christ. Right? That should encourage you to pray for him. You have somebody that will plead your case. He's interceding for you now, and he will be your mediator between you and the Father. This is important when you think about prayer and you think about our, our Catholic and our Orthodox friends because they put the pictures up and they put the statues up, and Baptists look at that and we just immediately say, ah, you're idolatrous. That's idolatry. And they, say, they know the command about idolatry. You don't think they've read that command? They've read it. They know it. And what they would say to us is, yeah, but who do you think you are just to go waltz in and talk to Jesus? Do you think you're that big a deal? It would be much better if you went to someone who could go to him on your behalf. So, St. Thomas. Or Mary. Who better than Mary? The mother of Jesus. Right? She will sort of plead your case with Jesus. You're not a big enough deal to just waltz right in to the big guy himself. So you need this go-between. We're not worshiping them, they would tell us. We're just sort of using them as a go-between. But Paul says, you have a go-between. It's not Thomas and it's not Mary. It's Jesus. He's the go-between. So pray to him. Talk to him. He's the one who's qualified to teach you how to pray. He's praying for you now, and he's your mediator with the Father. Okay, now let's get to the knots. Not like this. Don't pray like this. Number one, we should not pray like the hypocrites. Matthew 6, 5. 
When you pray, you must not, must not be like the hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is. They say the right thing and they do the wrong thing. Or maybe they externally do the right thing, but it's not genuinely real in their heart. Their motivation is off. Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't do all the right things in prayer and not mean it. Don't go through the motions. Don't come to a Bible study about prayer and fill in all the blanks and nod your head and act like this is really good stuff and then not pray. That's hypocritical. Don't be like the hypocrites. Do not be like them. Jesus says you must not be them. In some traditions, uh, some branches of Christianity, not Protestantism, but other, other branches, there's an idea, the Latin phrase is ex opere operato. And loosely translated it, I don't mean, uh, I don't know Latin, but generally it means from the work, it works. Right? Do it, and it works. Like it's, it's a, not necessarily a magical thing, but it's an automatic thing. Do it, and it's effective. It doesn't really matter if you understand it or not. It doesn't really matter if you mean it or not. Just do it. Baptism, right? Just do it. It really doesn't matter if you know what's going on. Just do it. It's, it's not so much you getting it. It's just the work itself. The work works. Prayer. You don't have to get it. You don't have to understand it all. Just do it. Just say the thing. Go Read the stuff. Go through it. It's okay. The work works. And I think Jesus right here is just blowing that out of the water. Don't be like the, the hypocrites. They're saying the right stuff on the outside. They're going through all the right motions, but it's not genuine and it's not real. Do not pray like the hypocrites. Secondly, we shouldn't pray for a human audience. We should not pray for a human audience. Matthew 6 Verse 5 and 6, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. That's the heart motivation. They want to be seen. They want to be heard. They're not genuinely talking to the Father. They just want the recognition of being a good prayer or a spiritual person or a good person or whatever. They do it that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you've re- uh, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who's in heaven, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Look, this fits in with everything you've read in the, Lord, uh, the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. Jesus is not saying, don't ever pray as a group. He's not saying, don't pray congregationally. He's not saying don't pray at the dinner table where anyone else can hear you. He's not saying don't ever get to a bu- uh, together with a buddy and pray out loud. He's not saying the only time you ever should talk to God is when you're alone and the door's shut and the, it's soundproof and there's no chance anyone's going to hear you. It's got to be a secret. That's not what he's saying, right? Earlier in the sermon, he said the point of the sixth commandment is not just murder, it's also anger. Right? The heart motivation matters. And the point of the seventh commandment is not just adultery, it's lust. Your heart matters in this. You can go through all the external stuff right, but your heart really does matter. 
And it's true with prayer. That's what he's driving at in prayer. You can stand on the corner. You can say the flowerly language. You can stand on this platform and say all the right stuff, and everyone will think you're so smart and educated and spiritual. You can sit around the dinner table and be the person to bless the food and bless the meal, and everyone can say, oh, I love it when that person prays and bless the food. Such a great prayer. None of that matters if it's not real. Don't do it for a human audience. Do it to talk to God. And I'll be honest with you. For me personally, this is the most convicting part of Matthew 6. Because I don't want to stand up on that platform and you think I'm a dummy. If I'm honest, I don't want you to think I don't know what I'm doing. You don't want to sit at the dinner table with your friends or your family and stammer and stutter around and sound like a fool. you got to be careful here, right? On your heart motivation. You know how easy it would be for me uh, to stand up there every Sunday and just go through the motions of it? Because that's what I'm supposed to do at that point in the service. That's That's what we do. The end of the sermon, the band's coming up. Everybody can't watch the band come up on the stage, so you've got to bow your head. And this is where I'm supposed to pray, and you've got to say something intelligent, and you can't sound like a dummy, so you might as well do a good job, right? Just go through it, the motions. Who am I doing it for? Am I doing it for you, or am I genuinely doing it to talk to the Father? When you sit at the dinner table, who are you doing it for? Are you just doing it for the kids and grandkids, so you train them this is what you do? That's not a good reason to pray. It's an okay reason to pray, but it's not enough of a reason to pray. If you're going to do it, talk to God. Let it be real. Let it be genuine. Don't do it just for a human audience. Thirdly, don't pray. We should not pray with empty phrases. Empty phrases. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Don't heap up empty phrases. Um, He's thinking about the Gentiles. What does He mean by empty phrases? Maybe He's thinking of sort of a Elijah and the prophets of Baal situation where they're praying and no one's listening. It's just empty talk, empty phrases. Maybe He's thinking about the Gentile uh, pagan idea that if you say the right prayer, you get the right outcome. If you put the words together in the right order and cadence and all the rest, then this is guaranteed to happen. And he's saying that's just empty, empty phrases, empty talk. Maybe he's talking about our tendency just to stammer and stutter around and to say things like Peter did. You remember when Peter was on the mountain of transfiguration and there's Jesus in all his glory and Peter starts talking about tents? Let's put up some tents. Let's hang out. Let's get a campsite going. And it, the message to Peter is basically, zip it, bud. Don't talk just to talk. If you don't have anything to say, don't say anything. Just zip it. Old Testament talks about this. It talks about when you go in before God, you need to let your words be few. You don't just need to pile up words for the sake of saying words. Say them if they're real, and if they're not, be quiet. Do not pray with empty phrases. James Boyce says this, thinking about... What Jesus is telling us here. He says, as we study this prayer, it's important for us to realize it was given to the disciples and to us 
as a pattern for prayer and not primarily as a prayer to be recited. I agree with that as long as you include the word primarily. Right? If you take out primarily and you say never recite it, I think that's problematic. But he, he puts it in there. He knows what he's saying. When Jesus lays this pattern, he said, don't do it this way, don't do it this way, don't do it this way. Do it like this. This is what, this is what you need to do. He's laying a, a pattern or a template in front of us to say this is generally what it ought to look like. What a beautiful thing that the, the template is not six pages long. Just a couple of lines. I mean, it's not rocket science. It doesn't have footnotes. Uh, it doesn't have, you know, cross-references and this, that, and the other. It's just, here it is. Very simple. Very easy. Can you imagine a, a, a real relationship where you said the same thing every time you talked? To turn the Lord's Prayer into just something that you recite by memory would sort of be like that. Every time you sit down with your friend or your spouse or your child, you have the exact same conversation. You never talk about anything new. You just have the same conversation over and over and over again. That's a a bad relationship. The flip side of that is also true. Can you imagine a relationship where you never said the same things over and over and over again? And you never talked about the same old stuff over and over and over again? And you never said, I love you, over and over and over and over again. Right? You, you need sort of both of those in a relationship. You need the routine and the, the stuff that you just sort of go through. But you also need the new and the spontaneous. And I think that's what James Boyce is saying here. So I'll just add this on. We should not pray only rote prayers, but sometimes it can be helpful to pray wrote prayers. So I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too. If you turn the Lord's Prayer into a mantra, and that's the only way that you pray, uh, it's empty phrases. You're just treating it like magic. You're just going through the motions. It's just the same stuff. Um, But I'm I'm guessing that you guys are like me. I'm guessing sometimes you sit down to pray and you just think, now what? I'm not supposed to do it like this. I'm not supposed to do it like this. I don't know what to do. So do it like this, word for word. There's at least a starting point. Turn to the book of Psalms. Say them word for word. Think about them. Slow down. Read them. Meditate on them. I don't know that it's a a good thing or a bad thing to sort of go to either extreme of we're just going to rote, say it, just go through the motions and check that box and move on, or maybe the Baptist mistake to say, you know, don't ever just recite it. That's just ritual. Eh, We don't want to be Catholics. Sometimes you don't know what to pray. Maybe I'm the only one, but I bet I'm not. Sometimes you need... Jesus to say, you don't know what to pray, do it like this. And you just do it exactly like he told you to do it. A few thoughts about prayer and theology, and then we'll wrap up for the night. Prayer reveals our theology and our priorities. Spend time with someone praying together, and you will come away 
Maybe not just once, maybe not just twice, but really pray with a person. You'll come away and you'll be able to say, this is what that person believes about God. For good or bad. I mean, they can answer the questions on the theology exam and say all the right things in Sunday school, but listen to a person pray and you'll figure out what they really believe about God. What is their theology? What do they think about God and his character and his attributes, what he's like? Prayer will tell on you for good or bad, and it will reveal your priorities. If your prayer life tends to revolve just around you, then you're probably the center of your own world. Fair? If your prayer life is very vague when it comes to God and his attributes and his character, your thoughts about God are probably very vague and vanilla and generic and not rooted in Scripture. If your prayers are all about, God, I need you to do something, if that's the extent of your prayer life, you probably, in your heart, whatever you say out loud, in your heart you probably approach God as someone who exists to take orders, short order cook, right? Here's the, here's the order for today, God. Here's, here's what I'm asking for. And if that's it, over and over and over and over again, it probably tells us something about the way you think about God or what's important in your life. Most basically, prayer is communion with God. It is fellowship with God. It is relationship with God. You could put any of those words in that blank. It's communing with God. It's fellowshipping with God. It's having a relationship with God. On a most basic level, that's what it is. It's not just talking to God. That's how we dumb it down sometimes. Look, I talk to a lot of people that I don't have a relationship with. You do too. You can talk at people all day long and not have a relationship with them. And if you boil prayer down to, it's just talking to God, you might miss the relationship part. You can talk at a person all day long and have zero relationship. Prayer, most basically, is a relationship with God. It's having communion with God. It's having fellowship with God. It is not these things. It is not self-expression. Self-expression. So I knew a lady... We crossed paths in Oklahoma, and we crossed paths in the context of a ministerial alliance. And this lady liked to come to our meetings. She would like to volunteer to pray. I think she liked to be heard. And she liked to come up, every time we met, I think she had come up with a new name for God. And I don't mean she had found it in the Bible. I just mean she had made it up. That's not prayer. That's just you expressing yourself. Okay? Those two things are not the same. When you come to God, it is not the time to be creative. It is the time to listen to what God has said to us in his word and to respond appropriately. Right? It's not, it's not your opportunity to show how theologically or spiritually creative you can be. It's your opportunity, it's my opportunity to have a relationship with the God who initiated communication by speaking to us in his word. He initiated the relationship by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. He has reached out to us and prayer is our response to that. It's not our opportunity to be self-expressive. Secondly, it's not manipulation. That's magic. 
Magic says, you say the right stuff, you get the right outcome. Sometimes when I hear people say, prayer is powerful. It makes me anxious. Because it makes me think, well, what do you mean? Do you mean, do you mean that if you say it just right, God's going to do it? Or this is going to happen? Do you mean if you say it enough that that person's going to get well? Is it powerful like that? Do you mean that if you get enough people on a prayer chain that there's more power in it? Is that how God works? Is that what we think about God? Like he's just waiting for us to get one more person added to the email list and then he's going to say, okay, now I, I don't know. I do believe, James talks about the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I agree with that. I'm not trying to cut James out of the Bible. But I just think there's a danger in this idea. Sometimes we turn it into manipulation. We can get a certain outcome. Prayer is not persuasion. It's not trying to talk God into our plans. We're going to see that in the prayer itself. It says, let your will be done and your kingdom come. Don't do it my way, do it your way. That's how Jesus taught us to say it. He's not trying to cajole God into our ideas, but it's submitting to his ideas. Prayer is not a news report. God doesn't need your status update or your information. He knows it. And Jesus says that right in the the introduction here that we, we looked at, right? Matthew 6, 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. That should change. If you believe that, that should change the way that you talk to God and the way you fellowship with God and the way you commune with God. It's not a news report. And lastly, it's not bargaining. This is not a negotiation. It's a relationship. It's communion. It's fellowship. It's not just talking to God, it's talking with Him, listening to Him speak in His Word and responding to Him through prayer. So next week, we're going to jump in. We're going to start taking the Lord's Prayer one phrase at a time. Uh, And we're just going to work our way through very slowly, thinking about how Jesus is teaching us to pray. One of the interesting things, if you just look at church history and you look at Great theologians, great thinkers, great philosophers, great uh, preachers or, or writers or whatever. Many of them have written books and, and volumes and volumes on the Lord's Prayer. And I just, I mean, I, I was reading through some examples of that. Origen, Gregory of Nyssa, Tertullian, Cyril, Cyprian, Augustine, Dante, Thomas, uh, Thomas Aquinas, Meister Eckhart, Martin Luther... Uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism has a whole section on it. And I mean, you can just, you can go from Catholicism to Christianity to Eastern Orthodox. You can look at the early church fathers. You can look at the medieval period. You can look at uh, the reformers. You can look at modern day theologians. Christians have long recognized this is important. This really, really matters, right? All the scripture is important. This is important. Jesus teaching us how to pray. And so we'll end with this quote from Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray wrote a lot of different things about prayer. And he said this. uh, It is a form of prayer. He's talking about the Lord's Prayer. It's a form of prayer that becomes the model and inspiration for all other prayer. That's that idea that it's a template. 
right? It's a pattern sort of to follow. And yet it always draws us back to itself as the deepest utterance of our souls before God. And I like that. He's sort of capturing both ideas. On the one hand, it's, it's this pattern that you follow. Not just rote, but it sort of guides you as to how you ought to pray. And at the same time, you come back to it. You keep coming back to it. And at some point you say, I can't do better than that. Like, that's it. That sums it up very, very nicely. And so that's the way that we learn to pray. So next week we'll jump in. We'll take it one phrase at a time.